listening to an audio sermon from Harvest Bible Chapel, Kelowna. For more information about our church, please visit harvestkelowna.ca. Well, this is kind of a joy for Jill and I to be here with you guys today, and I trust you're glad to be in church here this weekend and this morning. So um, I haven't been in British Columbia since 1992. What was I thinking? That's like, what, 23 years now? That's unbelievable. It's hard to believe. Listen, my wife has never been in British Columbia up until two days ago. So can we welcome Jill to British Columbia? Hey, way way to go, Jill. Way to come to British Columbia. That's so great. So great. And isn't it beautiful? We've been we've been amazed here. Um, yesterday back home, it was they call it Juvember. It was um, rainy, it was windy, and it was cold. And so we're we're glad to be here and smiling a little bit back home as they suffer through the elements. And we're here in such warm, warm weather. Hey, do you guys have Bibles in church? Why don't you grab a Bible and turn to 1 Kings 17. I really, really encourage you to find a Bible you can uh, borrow from the person beside you. But I'm just going to be going verse by verse through God's Word. And we're looking at a great passage the life of Elijah. That's 1 Kings um, chapter 17. And as we do that, I want to welcome you today um, to what I'm going to call uh, the School of Faith. Welcome to the School of Faith today in the Word of God. The bell has rung. Class is in, and quickly we're going to discover this. We're going to discover that one of God's favorite subjects to teach, listen carefully, listen carefully, this is for you today, this is for you today, God speaking to us today as individuals, one of God's favorite subjects to teach is the subject of faith. It's Hebrews 11 that says this, look right here, look right here, look right here, this is so key. Hebrews 11 says, without faith it's impossible to please Him. Did you hear what God's Word just said? Without faith... It's impossible to please God. It's impossible to please Him. So what we learn then from that right away, whatever man or woman is going to be powerfully used of God must be a man or woman who's living by faith. There are no spiritual exceptions to these spiritual principles. And you got to hear what God is saying right now. If you desire to see God work in and through your life, you must understand then that I have to exercise faith in him if I'm going to see this upon my life and the things that I desire to see God will do. If we're going to see God move, we must find ourselves then in the classroom of faith. Because when God has our faith, he has us, and that's when he's able to move. Now this is going to happen with the men in this room. This is going to happen with the women, in the marriages, with the families, and yes, with this church If we fail to exercise faith in God, then we're going to, in some ways, fail to see God move, I pray, in the ways that we want to. And this is where we turn to 1 Kings chapter 17. And it's here that we're introduced to Elijah. Now, if you know your Bible at all, Elijah in 1 Kings 17 seemingly comes out of nowhere. And what we discover is Elijah really is a nobody from nowhere. No one really knows who he is, and no one really knows where he's from. This place that is listed, that is his hometown, it's hard to even figure out exactly where this might be located. Now, I love God's word, because right away we find out God will powerfully use a nobody from nowhere. And if you're like me, you know you're a nobody too. I mean, we're just ordinary people going through life, and we're kind of from nowhere as well. And so encouraging to say, God's not interested in the super elite. God's not interested in using the people with this amazing intellect or these astounding gifts. He's looking to use people who trust him by faith. And so it's from obscurity that Elijah finds himself face to face with the height of evil in King Ahab and especially his wife 
Jezebel. And she was evil, and so was Ahab. So our context of 1 Kings 17 is the northern kingdom, which is called Israel, has trashed the fear of God and has now become a cesspool of idolatry. And so it's here that Elijah is thrust onto the scene in this northern kingdom of Israel that judgment is now coming upon the people of God. And it's here in 1 Kings 17 within our context, we understand here that the smell of idolatry has sickened the nostrils of God. And God will not take it anymore. And by the prayers of Elijah, we learn in in verse 1 that the rains will cease that the crops will fail, and the text says that not even dew will be found on the ground. So imagine that. And all of this is done by the prayers of Elijah. Elijah himself says, it will not rain except by my word. That's amazing, isn't it? The authority that God entrusts to this man of faith, that when he says it's going to rain, it's going to rain. When he says it's not going to rain, it's not going to rain. It's not Elijah that's doing that. It's God doing it through Elijah, a man of faith. And so it's here then, in this context, that momentum has turned. The power of God is being displayed. And it's here, I think, loved ones, that we would expect certain things to take place. I would expect with Elijah now in the scene, he has prayed and the rain has now ceased and all the people are aware of this and they're aware of what God is doing. I would expect Elijah to move to the people. I would expect him to take his authority and now proclaim his God to all who are listening to maybe hit every town and village or you would expect Elijah to go on a multi-city tour. But here's the thing with, with faith. Faith very quickly starts to learn Listen carefully that the ways of man are not the ways of God, or conversely, the ways of God are not the ways of man. Because what happens next within our text is Elijah does not go to every town and village. Elijah is not called to a national platform. Elijah is not going to some national press conference of prophecy. No, rather here we learn Elijah is called to the school of faith. You know what God will do? God will take Elijah away by himself for three years. Why? To prepare him for what is to come. See, what we're learning right here, even as we enter into this text, before Elijah is ready for fruit-bearing 101, he must go through faith-building 101. And loved ones here today, listen, 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 we're no different. Before we will see God's fruit seen through our lives, we must see faith in God built through our lives as well. And that is guaranteed for every single person who desires to see this happen. Again, God, God wants to take us all today to the school of faith. So listen, listen, maybe you've come to church many, many times. Maybe you've come to church very few times at all, but here's what I'm asking from you today. I'm gonna pray right now, okay? I'm gonna pray very quickly right now, but this isn't the pastor up here praying and saying, God, will you do something? And, and you got blah, 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 and you guys just kind of, lull. right now I'm asking this of you. Would you pray that the God of the universe, the living God would speak to you today? Would you pray? Not, not, not the person beside you right now, not the person you wish you were here. Would you ask God as I pray that you would encounter him and he would speak to you? I'm not here to go through the motions. You understand? I didn't come from Ontario to sit down here and just say a couple of words and then go and have a nice day in the sun. I'm here because I believe God wants to speak to us. I'm here because I believe this Bible is written by him. I'm here today because I got nothing to say apart from God. I'm here today to tell you and plead with you that God wants to change your life today. 
I'm not wasting my time and going through the motions spiritually. I believe God is awesome. I believe God loves you. And I believe God has a word for you. But it starts with us saying, I believe that too. So I'm going to pray. Would you pray with me? Pray for your heart right now. Briefly, Father, I do pray. In the name of your son, Jesus Christ, you would give us a word today. You would give marriages a word today. You would give families a word today. You would give his church a word today. How helpless we are apart from you. But I pray right now, oh God, wake us up and allow us, Lord, to see the power of faith lived in our lives for you. Yes, Lord, would you do that? Would you entrust, Lord, a prophetic word? Would you entrust, Lord, the authority that comes from God? Would you entrust to us today a passion and a desire to believe, Lord, that you will use small things to create amazing things for your glory? Bless this church immensely. And I pray you would storm darkness with light. I pray, Lord, you would storm the gates of hell with the kingdom and the message of the gospel of Jesus Christ. And I pray you would do that in small ways again today, adding up to big change for you. May every person here today, Lord, dare I ask, would you speak to them, would they hear from you? In Jesus' name I pray. If you agree, you can say amen. You can say amen. All right. Look at 1 Kings 17, verse 2. Check this out. And the word of the Lord came to him, Elijah. It said, depart from here and turn eastward and hide yourself by the brook Kareth, which is east of the Jordan. You shall drink from the brook, and I have commanded the ravens to feed you there. So he went and did according to the word of the Lord. He went and lived by the brook Kareth, that is east of the Jordan. And the ravens brought him bread and meat in the morning, and bread and meat in the evening, and he drank from the brook. And after a while the brook dried up, and because there was no rain in the land. And then look at verse 8. Then the word of the Lord came to him, Arise, go to Zarephath, which belongs to Zidon, and dwell there. Behold, I have commanded a widow there to feed you. Now these are some verses you would read maybe in the Bible and you might just skip right over or look at that and say, oh, that's kind of interesting. Or maybe some things you would see, maybe just kind of go on to the next part. But we're going to camp ourselves in probably an unfamiliar text that I pray is going to help us so much in the school of faith. Within these verses, we see this right here. Four essential lessons from the school of faith. Okay? We're going to the classroom, loved ones. I hope you're excited. I hope you're excited. We're learning lessons from the school of faith. Here's lesson number one for your life and mine. It's this. My life must be lived one step at a time. If I'm going to enroll in the school of faith, I must learn this, that I must live my life one step at a time in the faith and the grace of God. Now, as I say that phrase... Do not allow the cliche of one step at a time to take away from the clarity and the power of what that just said. My life is to be lived one step at a time by faith in my God, in Jesus Christ. We must see this clearly from Elijah's life. Notice, and please notice this, okay? In verse 1 of 1 Kings 17, Elijah is called to confront Ahab. What was it that gave Elijah the courage to do so? It was faith. Faith gave him the courage to confront this very evil king. But notice this. It's only after Elijah responds to the calling of God and the courage to obey God in step one that God's call came again in step two, which is verse two. Let me say that again. This is so key. 
Only after Elijah fulfilled his responsibility in the first step, go to Ahab, confront him. Only after he fulfilled that by faith, step one, did God meet him to give him step two. Now, as believers, what happens so often is we stand before God and we have step one, but really we want step ten. And so we're like, I know, I know step one's there, God, but I want step one too. I want step ten. So we go, hey, vending machine, God, you come and give me what I want so I can get the blessing of the end result, but I don't want to go through step one, two, three, and four, and five. This is, that's not how God works. That's not how God works. God says, will you be faithful to me in step one? For some of us, that's baptism today. Awesome. And when we're faithful with step one and obedience to him, then all of a sudden step two comes. Faithful in step two, three, four, five. Not just, hey, give me ten right now, God. That's not the way God, because if he does that, then God's cheaping us of the reality and the maturity of what it means to actually trust in him. And this is what we're learning right here from Elijah as well. Elijah obeys in verse one, notice, and then in verse two, it's there that God again speaks. But God doesn't speak in verse 2 until the step in verse 1 is completed. And notice this. Elijah will be called to this brook Kareth where he will wait and he will live in this brook Kareth. And he will trust God. We assume from God's word putting the pieces together probably for about three years he lived by this brook. But the same pattern happens in verses 7 and 8. If you notice in verse 7, the brook dries up, and then in verse 8 it says, then the word of the Lord came to him. And yet again, the pattern will continue when he's called to Zarephath, which is the next stage of Elijah's life after our text. He goes and he meets with this widow and heals her son miraculously. And then we see after he does that, then look at chapter 18, verse 1 now. Look down to your Bibles, chapter 18, verse 1. After many days, the word of the Lord came to Elijah in the third year saying, go show yourself to Ahab. So look up here now, loved ones, look up here. This is what's happening in Elijah's life. Step one, confront Ahab. By faith, he does that. Step two, the word of the Lord comes. Go to the brook Kareth and live there. He does that for three years. When that thing is done, he says, then go to Zarephath. The word of the Lord comes again in verse 8. Step 1 filled, step 2 filled, step 3 filled. After step 3 is filled, then step 4 comes. And now it's time to go to Mount Carmel for the big story we know so well. Notice the principle of faith in Elijah's life. My life must be lived one step at a time. And when the first step is complete... Then the word of the Lord begins to speak through him. Let me ask you this right now. What step in your life is God asking you to complete before maybe he's willing to speak to you of the step you really want to see down the road somewhere? Don't you see how God works in faith? How God works in obedience? How God works when we trust in him for what he's called us to do where we are at this stage of our lives. See what's happening here? Critical lesson for the Christian life. And I think what's happening really in Elijah's life and for us here, here's a wonderful principle, which is this. Loved ones, before God will use you, he must have you. He must have you. And when does he have you? Listen, when he has your faith, when he has my faith. And how does God get our faith? By placing us in the school of faith. But can we, can we admit this though too, is, is we're not good at this as we've kind of alluded to already can we admit this too so often comes to school of faith we want graduation day to be the same day as enrollment day 
We want to graduate the same day that we're enrolled. Let's just imagine that happened at university. Let's imagine I go to university, which I did many, many years ago. But imagine that I graduated the same day I enrolled. So I go to school, I'm there one day, I get my diploma or my degree. So I have a piece of paper, I went to school for one day, I take this piece of paper, I put it on my wall, but the reality is I have a degree, but in reality I have nothing inside of me. There's nothing I can use to actually enhance the education that it says I have. If I graduate the same day I enroll, I'm really good for nothing. Yet many, many believers desire for that. When I enroll, let me graduate, give me what I want, and let me go on with my life in the way that I think it should happen. That's not the school of faith. God must have us if he's going to use us. School of faith is so powerful in this way. God is more interested, listen, listen, this is so key to you. God is more interested in having us than blessing us. And why is that true? Because when God has us is when we are most blessed. And that's a, such, a, such a critical principle again. Okay? More than God is interested in blessing us with the things we think we want, God wants to have us. And the power is when God has us, we are more blessed. Have you, have you figured this out yet? Blessing of God is not a bigger paycheck. Have you figured that out ultimately yet? The blessing of God is not a nicer home. The blessing of God is not a faster car. The blessing of God is not a better vacation. Have, have we figured that out yet? Ready, ready? The blessing of God is God himself. When you and I are filled with the Lord, there is no greater possible blessing ever in this universe. When you and I are filled with the presence and the glory of God, I mean, I hope you know what I'm talking about right now. When you sense the all-satisfying glory and majesty and beauty of God. So Jill and I, just this week, we're at this great resort just up the road. This incredible view looking over Lake, what's it called again? Okanagan Lake? Okanagan Lake, there we are. And I'm looking at this, and there's all this beautiful, worldly stuff around us. But I'm looking on the lake. You know what I'm feeling? I'm feeling my satisfaction is not in the hotel room. My satisfaction is not in the pool that's down there. My satisfaction is not in the room. My satisfaction is in the glory and the majesty of the Lord Jesus Christ and the one who created all these things. Nothing can replace that. The blessing of God is not another item to add to my wish list in this world. The blessing of God is God. He's the blessing. And when you and I have tasted and seen that the Lord is good, everything else in this life is bleh. My dear, sorry about that, all right? It tastes yucky. This is what Elijah's learning right now. He's learning God is the blessing. The Lord is the blessing. And that's why God takes him to the school of faith. And, and hear this, hear this, hear this, ready? God will keep me and you in the classroom as long as it takes to get the mark that he desires. Say that again. God will keep us in the classroom as long as it takes until he gets the mark that he desires. So why are some of us seemingly in the same, why are we bumping our heads against the classroom wall all the time, seemingly going over the, how come I haven't, how come I haven't matured? How come I haven't grown? How come that person's over there? I'm still stuck here. Why is nothing happening the way I think it should? Could it be because we fail to learn the lesson that God is trying to teach us for months or maybe even years. See, God's not interested in C pluses. God's interested in A's. And he's not in a rush. Because what does he want? He wants our hearts. He wants our hearts. 
So he will keep us in the classroom as long as it takes for us to get the mark that he desires. He will do that as individuals, as spouses, as families, and yes, as churches as well. The power, the power of living life one step at a time. See, before God's going to call you to Zarephath, which is coming up for Elijah, or Mount Carmel, the first lesson we must learn is being called maybe to Brook Kareth. To Brook Kareth. The power, power of faith in our lives. That's step number one we see. And here's the second lesson from Elijah's life that we see right here is this. Is, I'm going to call this, um, I must value the hidden life. If I'm going to be in the school of faith, please listen, please receive. Oh, God, help us right now. I must value the hidden life. Now, I bore the phrase hidden life by F.B. Meyer. Why? Because I love it so much. Let me ask you this. Do you know the hidden life? Do you know the power of the hidden life? This is Elijah's next classroom, and it's so beautiful. It's powerful. It's underappreciated. But look, look, look. It doesn't look that exciting on the syllabus but the hidden life is the secret to the power of the Holy Spirit and of faith. Look at the hidden life now in verse 2. Look at verse 2. And the word of the Lord came to him, depart from here, turn eastward, and hide. Amazing. This is, this is God's command to Elijah. Hide yourself by the brook Kareth, which is east of the Jordan. You shall drink from the brook. I have commanded the ravens to feed you there. So he went and did according to the word of the Lord. He went and lived by the brook Kareth, that is east of the Jordan. Now the first question I have is this, where is the brook Kareth? The answer is we don't know exactly, but I think I have a map here today that I want to show. Do you have a map that we can put up of brook Kareth there at the back? Jackson, you got a map for us right there that we can put up? Here it is. All right, so brook Kareth, there's question marks beside that. It's kind of, you see the word Israel, and then beside that to the right is brook Kareth, possibly question mark there, and Tishba, possibly where Elijah was from as well. We're not totally sure, but we do know this. It was east of the Jordan. That's what the text says for sure. It's in the wilderness. It's in a desolate place. It's probably in a place where food is very, very difficult to grow, if possible at all. Here's the point. Here's the point. Before God was going to use Elijah publicly again, he would first have to be taught privately. Before Elijah would be used publicly, he had to be taught first privately. Think of how biblical this is in certain characters in Scripture. Joseph being taught in prison before he was promoted to prime minister. Moses being taught in the wilderness before he would lead God's people out of Egypt. David being taught in the pasture before he would be king. Paul being taught in Arabia before he'd be the greatest missionary. Jesus himself, 30 years before he launched his ministry publicly. God called Elijah here to depart and hide himself in Kareth, a tough place, a harsh place, a place where he would live probably for three years. Why? To learn the power of the hidden life. I don't believe this is a call to monasticism here, but I do believe the hidden life is a call to spiritual momentum. Because just think here, just think. Why would God call Elijah to this season of a hidden life? Why is the hidden life so powerful? For four reasons, powerful reasons of what the hidden life does. What does the hidden life do for us? Number one, it does this, it, it quiets our hearts. The hidden life quiets our hearts. So think of the time Elijah would have spent at this brook Kareth. Just imagine, okay, he lived in the text, okay? Live in the text. Just imagine this brook. What does it look like to you? Kind of a barren land, no one around, totally quiet. 
This isn't a three-day camping trip in the wilderness, remember? This is probably three years by himself, off on his own, listening, simplicity, nature, meditation. Think of Elijah there. Think of the opportunity he had to be still and know that God is God. Always remember this too. Always remember how much Jesus himself valued the hidden life. Jesus went away to desolate places to pray, sometimes all night, to quiet his heart. You know what I believe? I believe we live in one of the noisiest societies in the history of the world. One of the noisiest societies. Let me ask you this. How chained are you to your smartphone? I mean, do you control it or does it control you? And that's a great question for me. I mean, how chained are you to media? How chained are you to Facebook? How chained are you to television? How chained are we? How programmed are we? Just, just honestly, just an honest question right now before God. It's you and him. Not, I don't, you don't have to answer me. Just, just, but just how much do these things control your heart, your time, your affections, your attention? It's impossible to grow to maturity in Christ without the hidden life. This is why the Lord leads us to these places at times. This is why God brings us messages even like this right now within our lives, that we may see once again the value of what it is. I've been thinking about the hidden life so much just because this means so much to me. And I think of verses like Psalm 23, the famous verse that we know that says he makes me lie down in green pastures. He, he leads me beside still waters. He, tell me, tell me, he, he restores Restores my soul. Yes, some of you know this off by heart. But here's the real challenge. We have it here, but do we have it here? He makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside still waters. Why, why? Because he wants to restore my soul. This is the value of the hidden life. This is why Elijah was called in the school of faith to get to this place, to be used and and poured into by God, to prepare him to listen, to receive. It quiets our heart. Here's what the hidden life also does. It, 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 It humbles our pride. The hidden life is so awesome because it's there that we remember that this this life is not about us. It's about it's about the Lord. It's in the quiet that we hear the love of God, that we know the glory of God, that we see again just how big God is and how small that we really are. F.B. Meyer says this. He says this. Listen carefully. He says, if you are to take a high place before men, you must take a low place before God. This is what the school of faith does. This is what the hidden life does. How quickly, how quickly, listen, how quickly does self-glory take the place of God's glory? How quickly can even the front of ministry, what I'm even doing right now, the front of ministry can become a pedestal which wish to display ourselves. But it's the hidden life. You know what happens in the hidden life? It's here where it slowly takes the chisel to the hard heart of our pride. It's the hidden life that we find the conviction leading to the refreshing path of repentance. It's the hidden life that reminds us we are but a drop in the ocean of God's glory. And this is why God takes us to the school of faith to teach us the hidden life. The hidden life by this brook careth, it, it quiets our heart, it, it, it humbles our pride, it does this, it, it feeds our soul. Loved ones, the hidden life feeds our soul. But of course it does, this makes so sense. Because the hidden life is renewal, it's restoration, it's, 
it's fuel for my soul. Why do you think Jesus said in Mark 6 to his disciples, why do you think he said to them, come away with me to a desolate place and rest a while? Jesus, hey boys, boys, come on, come on with me. Come on, come to a desolate place. Come to the hidden life and rest. Why would Jesus do that? Because he knows what they needed. He was teaching them the model of faith in the Father to be led by him. No way we can give out spiritually unless we've taken in spiritually. One guy said, he said this, he said, I'd rather burn out than rust out. I'd rather burn out than rust out. But a wise man quit back and said to him, either way, buddy, you're out. Either way, you're out. You want to burn out than rust out? Either way, you're no good. We're out. I don't think that's God's will for our lives, for us to burn out and be no use to anyone. There are no Mount Carmels without Brook Kareth. That's what we're learning here right now from this text. It feeds our soul. It feeds our soul. Some of us will be asking, some of us will be asking, what does this look like practically, this hidden life, this feeding my soul? Here's a few suggestions that I have passed on over many years that I seek to do, and I cannot, I cannot exist as a, as a man, as a husband, as a father, and especially as a, I cannot exist without this to do these certain things. You want some practical advice on how to live out the hidden life? Number one, do a bunch of P's, okay? Five P's for you. I like alliteration because I'm a pastor, all right? Hey, find a place, loved ones. Find a place that's yours. My place at home, it's this chair. I have this chair. It's my chair. You know what I'm saying? It's the chair the kids know where daddy sits. I have this little cheap ottoman. I put my feet up. I got a lamp. I got a side table. And I wake up early in the morning. And I love to go to my place with cup of coffee in the hand. Amen? Amen? Cup of coffee? Anyone here? Anyone? Got some nods? I got some nods? No amens, but some nods, all right? And I got my place. I got my Bible. I got my pen. Listen, listen. And in that moment, there's where I find, I find my God. Do you have a place? I think it took me all of five minutes in our hotel room this weekend to find my place. I love my place. It's not my place. I don't have the routine of where this is my sanctuary to meet with my God. Find my place is the first one I wrote down. And then I said this, find a plan. A plan is, where am I going in Scripture? On our website, I'm not sure what Kona has here. Our website in Oakville, we got seven or eight Bible reading plans. You must have a plan. Like in my Bible right here on the back, this is, this is a Bible reading plan. It's four chapters a day. I don't always do that. Two chapters, three chapters. But here's my plan. This is... This is what I do. You're like, you're a pastor. I need, absolutely, I need a plan. I need a plan. I want to, I want to, I want to, I'm not just scrolling through scripture and saying, where should I go? I'll go here. Asking the Lord to, to use the, the, the plan and seeking him. So I find a place. I find a plan. I'm, I find a pen. I have a journal. I did that this morning. I'm writing stuff down. Not every day, but a lot. Writing things down. You find a place and you, and you find a plan and you find a, a pen and do this. Find a, find a prayer. God, would you speak to me in these times? Would you move in my life? And if you find plan, place, and plan, and a pen, and a prayer, here's what I believe you'll find. I believe you'll find a passion. I believe you will find power in God. Because you will have found the hidden life. Let me ask you, does the hidden life exist in your life right now? Is the hidden life something that you value? Or is the chaos, and here's what I know, most believers don't have a dedicated time to spend with God. Most don't. And that's why the church is so weak. 
And that's why we don't grow. Because without the hidden life, we really don't stand a chance. Because the hidden life empowers us. It's what God uses. He's teaching Elijah to use Elijah. And he sets him aside for a significant amount of time to bless him with himself. School of faith, loved ones. Bells ringing. School of faith. One life, one step at a time. I value the hidden life. Number three is this. Lesson number three is this. I must trust God completely. Now that might seem pretty basic. But is it being lived? Am I trusting God completely? Because here's what we learned here. Ready? 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 I love this principle for our lives. Wherever God guides me, he promises to provide for me. Do I trust him? Wherever God guides me, he promises to provide for me. But notice this. God doesn't promise to provide on our terms. He promises to provide on his terms. This is seen in the text. Look at verse 4. You're going to like this, okay? You're going to like this. And you're going to like this. Pay attention. Pay attention. Look at verse 4. God says, you shall drink from the brook, and I have commanded the ravens to feed you there. So he went and did according to the word of the Lord. He went and lived by the brook Kareth, that is east of the Jordan. Look at verse 6. And the ravens brought him bread and meat in the morning, and bread and meat in the evening, and he drank from the brook. Now how incredible is our God? Are, Are you seeing all this? In a time of complete drought, God provides a babbling brook of cold, fresh water. Then on top of this... He gets ravens to bring to Elijah daily sandwiches. That's amazing. The ravens brought him bread and meat. Last time I checked, bread and meat are sandwiches, right? This is what, a, this is, this is what Elijah got from the grace and the sovereignty of God. I mean, how, how, how awesome is he? So there's Elijah, this brook in the midst of drought, giving him, giving him water and to sustain him. And then these birds are coming in and dropping down sandwiches both morning and night. I mean, that's amazing. Elijah's learning the, the power, the omnipotence, the glory of God through daily provision of his food. But notice this. Elijah's not given this gourmet spread. Elijah's not promised this five-star meal of kind. Elijah is promised what he needs. And you and I are promised the same. When God guides us, he promises to provide for us what we, not we want necessarily, what we need. Because God knows best. So right now, when faith, when faith is looking at this text, faith says, this is awesome. Because, because Elijah's God's my God. And if God can do that for him, God can do that for me too. And so I also believe, I also believe by faith in a God who provides in this way. You understand here, God is limited by nothing. You learn that God is in control of everything. We understand that God is perfectly faithful. Notice in this text, when God says go, he promises to show and he will bring the dough. You see that? When God says go, he promises to show and he will bring the dough. And in this case, it literally did happen. Why? Because it's so powerful. God never refuses to act. Here's a quote I'm putting on the screen for you. A.W. Pink said this. God never refuses to act when faith addresses him on the ground of his own glory. Where we get messed up, loved ones, we're saying, God, I want to move in faith as it results in my glory. God doesn't bless that. He blesses when I live by faith when the purpose and my desire is for the glory of God. God never refuses to act when faith in our lives is being lived out and led for God's glory. That's powerful. Powerful. And it's here. It's here. The ravens come and we see it. And explodes our faith. And we're so excited. 
Notice this too. This is so powerful. Notice in verse 4, I want you to see the word there. See the word there in verse 4? The word there? It was that Kareth, Kareth was the appointed place for Elijah. It was there that God would teach dependence. Do you see that? He says, when you get there. So circle that word there. I've commanded the ravens to feed you there. Let me ask you this. Let me ask you this question right now. Where, where's your there? In other words, where's the place God has commanded you to go or to be? Where is your there? Because you're, maybe it's right here, right now in this place serving. God's commanded you to go there. And that's what we need to do. Where's my area of responsibility? Men, men, we're commanded to go there as in being husbands to our wives who cherish them. Fathers to our children to be there in our home. To be there to honor God. Where's your there? God says, I command the ravens to feed you there. If he doesn't go there, he misses out. This is the there that God uses. I love, I love to think about the there in life and to love there. This is what it means to trust God completely. This is the school of faith. The final lesson, and briefly I want to say this, the final lesson then is this. Lesson number four in the school of faith is I will not fear the dry times. When I'm trusting God, and I'm leaning on him. This is really good context for Kelowna right now, isn't it? It's pretty dry times, isn't it? I will not fear the dry times. Notice this incredibly important lesson. I love this lesson. Look now at verse 7. Look at verse 7. All I'm doing, going verse by verse, verse by verse. Please look at your Bibles. Please, 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 please. This is what God uses. Look at verse 7. And after a while, the brook dried up because there was no rain in the land. See it? Probably not. Let me explain to you. You just read what I did. Don't miss the powerful, massive spiritual lesson. Ready? Ready? Ready for this? Elijah was in God's will. Elijah was living according to God's word. Elijah was relying on God's way. God's word, God's will, God's way. Listen, listen. And yet there, the brook dried up. You see that? Elijah was doing everything he knew to do in God's plan. Obeying him, following him, loving him, trusting him, right in the center of God's will, the brook dried up and left him in a very desperate place. Please see this and accept this by faith. This is it right here. Dry spells in our lives can be just as much as God's will as the abundant rains. I hope you're picking that up. You get this? This is, this is like, this is big time Christian stuff right here. The dry spells in our lives can be just as much as God's will as the abundant rains of what we call so-called blessings. And this is where our faith is really tested, isn't it? Because it's in the dry spells of life, loved ones, when things are really hard, when the brooks dry up, when seemingly God's provision is not there, when we're thirsting for nourishment and God has removed this or allowed this to not be, it's here that we're tempted to say, God, have you forgotten about me? God, have you forsaken me? God, have you left me behind? God, are you moving on to someone else and not no longer focused on me? It's here that we're tempted to accuse God of forgetting, of injustice, of again, leaving us to ourselves. Some of us are here right now We're in the drying brook of spiritual feeling. 
The drying brook maybe of physical health. The drying brook of bleak finances. Maybe the drying brook of discouragement. Maybe even unemployment. And oh how these will all be used to test our hearts. Why? To see it is who we really trust. Do we trust God or do we trust ourselves? I want you to hear again, loved ones, God's will does include brooks that dry up. Why would God do that, though? Why would God do that? Ready? One word. The whole reason for this whole message. Faith. If the brooks are always flowing and there's never any need really for God, then what do we lack? We lack faith. At times, God will remove things from us to draw us in. Isn't that so true? And this is Elijah here, once again, in God's will, doing everything God asked. The brook dries up. It leans Elijah in. And now he's getting ready for further fruit in his life for the glory and the will of God. The school of faith is so powerful. And we can't grow without it. We cannot mature without it. One more verse I want to show to you which changed my life. When I started Harvest Oakville 13, 12, 13 years ago with Jill, I got to a place in my life where I thought I'd messed my life up. I was leaving one position in church, going to this other thing. But there was, it was Jill and I started Harvest Oakville. It was us and another couple. There was four of us, all right, four of us. It wasn't this big church like it is now, all kind of stuff. We knew nothing. We had no idea. I was so scared. I was so fearful. I thought things were going all wrong. I made the biggest mistake. I was seeking the Lord in a very, very difficult place. And God led me to Ecclesiastes 7, verse 13 on the screen for you. It says this. Look at this verse. Consider the work of God. Who can make straight what he has made crooked. Look at that verse, look at that verse, look at that verse. Consider the work of God. Who can straighten what God has made crooked? Now why did that mean so much to me? It meant so much to me because in, in my perspective of life, I wanted everything to be straight. I want, I, I, just want, I want to see everything. I, want, I believe God's will. God, your will for my life is that everything is smooth, everything is straight, and everything is I think it should be. And the moment it got crooked and I went down these paths and up these hills and these bumpy roads where all of a sudden I got fearful and scared, I'm like, everything's falling apart. This isn't going well anymore. See what God did? He whispered into my ear, into my life, and he said, Robbie, don't you understand? The very thing you are calling crooked is the very will of, of me for your life. You see that? Do you hear that? Sometimes we want the straight path. God's like, I'm not always into the straight path. He says, sometimes my work is actually the crooked, bumpy, hard, trial-filled road, and who can straighten what God has made crooked? That perspective and that truth changed my whole life that day. All of a sudden, I went from despising my situation, being fearful, to saying, God, I don't get it, but I trust you in it. I believe you are sovereign, I believe you are good, I believe you love me, and I believe you know. What was I in, loved ones? I was in a massive classroom of the school of faith. And God kept me in it until I got the mark that he desires. And God will keep you in the school of faith to get the mark that he desires too. Why? Because he loves you so much. He loves you so much. This is the power of the classroom of the school of faith. And this is where Elijah found himself to prepare him for the great works that were ahead. Now it's so important for me to end this message right here with the reality of the gospel. 
You want to exercise faith? Our temptation is, I've got to try harder. I've got to pray more. I've got the hidden life thing. I've got to get my journal. I've got to write more. Then God will bless me. No, no, no. That's not fundamentally the answer. You know, just recently, I have four children. My second son, his name is Kale. And just recently, I sat down and looked my son Kale in the eyes. He went through a hard time. He was struggling with some issues of sinning with his life. I said, Kale, with tears in my eyes, I said, Kale, you got to understand, ultimately, you can't change yourself. You cannot do this. Kale, you can try as hard as you want, but at the end of the day, you need Jesus Christ. Only Jesus Christ can give you the strength and the grace to overcome this area of sin within your life. Heavenly Father looks at you today and looks at me today, one by one, all of us right now, and he says to you as an individual, he says, my child, you can't do this on your own. This isn't about trying harder. This is surrendering by faith to the God who is awesome and who loves you. And he says, he says, listen, listen, my child, you can't do this, but that's the whole point of the gospel. The grace of God, the greatest response of faith that we have today, this is it, this is it right here. This is it to say, God, I can't, but you can. Do you know how many men and women forfeit the glory of God because they just want to control their lives? Do you know how many men I have seen place aside the strength and passion and glory of God because they will not give up control? The answer is too many. If you want to see God's power through your life, you have to give up. Not a little bit. I'm talking, God, I can't. I give up. Here's my life. Why? Because I trust you. Because you love me. You love me. What is that? And God gets glory through that. May you be blessed as God leads you and me together to the school of faith. Let me pray for you. Let me pray for you right now. Father, I pray right now in the name of your son, Jesus Christ, I pray for spiritual breakthroughs. Spiritual breakthroughs, Lord, that we understand, God. I don't know what's all ahead. I don't know what's coming, but I know that today is your day, and I'm your child. I want to trust you for today. One step right now, Lord. I want to value, oh God, the life that you've called me set apart for you. God, I want to trust you, Lord, and I want to pray right now. I will not fear the dry times. I pray, God, if you have placed within our lives crooked paths, Right now, we would say, as a church, as families, as individuals, we trust you. We trust you. Why? Because you are able. Because you alone are able. Yes, Lord, would you work? Would you work? Would you bring light bulbs to our minds that impact our hearts? Would you give us joy and faith in you and you alone? Lord, do that upon this church. Bless this family. Use them for your glory. I beg this of you in Jesus' name.